Welcome to the Shiro Podcast, where we celebrate women in the legal profession and discuss some of the challenges and issues they face. This podcast is brought to you by the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Hello, everyone. This is the Shiro Podcast from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. In this episode, I am your host, Eduardo Marquez. I am an M&A associate at Sidley Austin in Houston and an at-large director of the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Our guest today is my former boss at the Organization of American States in Washington, D.C., Lorena Perez. Lorena, good afternoon. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Lorena, so you have an incredible background. You have a background in big law, um, academia, international organizations, and politics. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, to me and our audience? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, let's see. Born and raised in the Dominican Republic, and I am the daughter of a um, first-generation graduate from um, any university and the only one who graduated in her um, generation. That was my mom. She graduated from law school and a uh, revolutionary. That was my father. He fought against our, the dictatorship of Trujillo in the Dominican Republic. Um, most of my vacations, uh, my sister and I spent in the countryside over at my maternal grandparents. They, um, they were farmers. My grandmother still lives in the very same house where she was born, and she's going to be 102 years old next wow. month. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah, I guess so. She's a very <laughs> stubborn lady. But um, so I, um, li- I, I was raised in, in, the, in the city, in Santo Domingo, but I spent most of my formative years um, having fun in the countryside. And uh, my mom instilled in both my sister and I uh, the sense of uh, responsibility. And also she wanted for us to become educated because she always said that education was the best um, inheritance that she could live, that she could leave for any of her children. Yeah. Wise woman. Yes. And uh, at what age did you uh, move to the U.S.? I moved uh, to the United States back in 1992. I'm not going to tell you what age, but it was in 1992. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just after I had graduated from um, university in the Dominican Republic. I actually went to um, Catholic schools throughout my whole life, from second grade um, all the way through the university, first to the nuns um, in uh, elementary, uh, mid, and high school, and then I went to a priest's university, the Pontificia Universidad Católica Madre y Maestra, that's the uh, Catholic University in the Dominican Republic, got my law degree. I worked very hard at getting my law degree and did what most students uh, do, which is, you know, work very hard, uh, try to get the best grades you can, uh, play the guitar and sing at a uh, alternative rock band, <laughs> <laughs> trying to stay out of trouble uh, most of the time, and then moved to the United States for a few years uh, for personal reasons, and then uh, I'm still trying to find my way back to the Dominican Republic. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. Believe me, we all are. Yeah. Um, so... When did you decide to become a lawyer? Was that because it had, you know, your family had, a, you know, some sort of background there or it was something that you always wanted to do nevertheless? What do you want? Do you want what I told my mom, the reason I told my mom, or the real reason? I think we can, we can live with both. Oh. <laughs> so the reason I told my mom was my mom had 
all these wonderful um, law books, um, most of them in French, because when my mom attended university, we still had, um, actually, I still had to take a couple of, of courses in French, uh, the uh, Dominican system deriving uh, directly from the French law system. And I told her, who is going to inherit those books? I don't want them to go to waste, so I want to study law. But the real reason is because I, I wanted to be a judge. My mom became a judge back when I was 12 years old, and it always intrigued me. Uh, I mean, I, I would love to go to the courthouse. She was a uh, juez de instrucción, which is a trial judge, but it's a trial judge at the uh, uh, preliminary um, stage of, of the case. And to me, it was so interesting to see how justice was being made. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a judge, just like my mom, because I thought that it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So one of the uh, big questions that I have for you is, uh, with your background working in big law, uh, particularly in a Texan law firm, mm-hmm. working in international organizations such as the OAS, a uh, faculty member of universities such as Georgetown and yeah. U of H, What are the biggest differences on how private practice, international organizations, and academia are growing their diversity efforts for women attorney and other minorities? Mm -hmm. Huh, let's see. Well, yeah, I I have the advantage that I have navigated through more than one kind of sphere, um, I guess. From the get-go, let me tell you that I have always chosen to live um, without feeling that I am different or that I have to be labeled. So to me, I've never wanted to play the, well, I'm a minority or I'm a woman and therefore fill in the blank. Um, I always have set my goals and then, you know, I've tried to achieve them, uh, whatever they are. But it is not less true that uh, being a woman uh, poses certain challenges that being a man opposes other certain challenges and being a woman one um, thing is I mean we're the we're the ones who actually are uh, childbearing right and uh, and that poses you know a, a, a certain challenge in uh, in a time when you would otherwise be productive um, at the um, at the professional level what I've always chosen to do is to focus on what I have control over. And to me, um, knowing that you know I was entitled to equal pay for equal work, for example, was something that was important. And no matter where I was, whether I was at the law firm, whether I was at the um, OAS, um, as an adjunct, it was a different um, a, a, a different theme because as an adjunct you only go you teach whatever you're going to teach and you leave you're not um, you're not a tenured uh, professor but what I've always done is try to focus on what I have control over as opposed to on um, on the things that I cannot uh, change uh, as a minority I don't know what do you call minority I mean you've been at the OAS what is a minority at the OAS <laughs> <laughs> in an organization where you have um, citizens from most of the Western Hemisphere, um, maybe more from one country than another, but at the same time they're uh, from 
from all over the Western Hemisphere, some from Europe, some from Africa, as you know. Um, so I, minority did not apply at that level. Neither did it, does it apply here in Texas, where 40% or maybe a higher percentage than that identify themselves as having some Hispanic heritage. Who's a minority here? <laughs> <laughs> that is right. And, uh, you know, you've, uh, I feel the same way. Um, I relate to that in the sense that I've never let um, being Hispanic tag me. But uh, nevertheless, I found that um, for me, that has helped develop my career yeah. in a way that is different than uh, if I would have um, uh, kept practicing, for example, in Mexico. So I do think that um, sometimes here in the U.S., not in all cases, uh, there is really that um, desire to let everybody uh, make a name for themselves. Sure. So. However, did it help you that you are Hispanic or did it help you that you speak more than one language? Did it help you that you've got the knowledge of more than one legal system? I like to think that it was the whole package. There you go. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> but we should ask other people, I guess. <laughs> um, so tell us now about your future. You know, all the things you've done, uh, they're all great. They're, now you are facing a new uh, project of your own. It um, is, yeah. It is a new project. Um, I decided, and this was in December, um, that I was going to run for office. So... Right now, I am running for the Texas House of Representatives for District 15, and uh, I'm running hard because we're in the very final, you know, the final stretch. So, I uh, I'm, I like what I'm doing so far, and what I've been doing before, and what prompted me to run, was that for the last three years since we, my family and I moved here um, from the East Coast. One of the things that I wanted to do was to volunteer part of my time. And I've been doing so at local organizations. And I've been able to meet a lot of people in my community who are also interested, like me, in uh, doing uh, more for our community so that it gets uh, you know, to be a better community. And also to identify the needs of the people in, in our community. And, uh, what I want to do right now is just to find a higher platform so that I can reach out to more people um, in, uh, in our community and in the state as a whole, yeah. Are there a lot of female um, candidates here in Texas, or what's kind of like... Yes, yeah. there are. I will tell you that uh, when I decided to run for office again, it was at the very last minute when I realized that there was not going to be a candidate um, to, um, so, so the way that it started was there's a, there was another woman um, r running in the primaries. Uh, there was a man and a woman running in the primaries for the Republican Party. And I had met the woman, and I saw eye to eye with her mostly on uh, the issue of public education. She's very um, adamant about strengthening the public education, the public education system in Texas, and I applauded that. But then I heard from various people that she probably wouldn't win the primaries because her opponent um, was being backed by really deep pockets and packs, etc. And that is when I said, well, we have to have a plan B. 
and well, you're talking to Plan B right now. <laughs> <laughs> I am Plan B. Um, so what um, what I am doing now is running um, based on issues, focused on issues, as opposed to focused on um, party allegiances or focused um, on what's going on at the national level, just focused on what is it that our community needs and how is it that we are going to be able to tackle those issues to to address those challenges in Austin and, uh, and trying to forge alliances. And I'll tell you that one of the things that I have liked the most since I decided to um, run for office has been meeting all of the people, all of the actors, uh, because people sometimes think, well, I'm, I'm running for office and I'm going to start on a clean slate. You know, it's a blank sheet of paper. I go to Austin and I get to write stuff. But that's not the way. You and I know that. That's not the way that it realistically works. Uh, the Texas legislature has had um, a lot of bills that uh, died in previous sessions and that have been uh, worked on and reworked on maybe various sessions over and over. And it's just trying to find allegiances. And, you know, what has been happening mostly on the three topics that I want to focus on, which are public education, strengthening public education, um, addressing um, flooding, which is a big issue not only here in Houston but also in Montgomery County. And uh, the other one also is addressing uncompensated care, which is also an issue that's bipartisan. It does not, you know, it, people get sick, period. It doesn't matter who it is. And then just finding those people um, and trying to talk to um, those people to see what it is that we can do um, and what it is that we can accomplish when we talk to each other. What a novel concept. Talk to each other as opposed to That's yell right. at each other or comp an attitude. Yeah, so that has been fun. Yeah. Well, and I have a feeling that it will not end there. And, you know, after politics, you'll be probably no. become a I'm professional sport player. No. <laughs> you'll be doing something I've tried that. great. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Uh, no, as a professional sports player, you will not see. But what you will see is me continuing to work for the community. Yeah, and you're going to continue to see me teaching because I, I love teaching. Um, I had to turn down um, the um, invitation that I got to teaching for next semester uh, for obvious reasons. I still don't know what's going to happen, and I will not know um, until after November 6th. But um, I hope that University of Houston extends uh, me another invitation to um, teach um, as an adjunct ne next year. I'm still teaching um, every year at American University Washington College of Law uh, in, uh, in D.C., um, a short course, a, a bookend course on, uh, on uh, mediation and alternative dispute resolution. And uh, you're going to see me teaching, one way or another. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're doing that for the yeah. sake of everybody. Um, so now our two brand questions for the Shiro project. Um, who are your Shiro's? My Shiro's? Who are my Shiro's? I would say, for the most part, my clients. Um, it's the women that I have helped um, through Lone Star Legal Aid, um, the, the women that I helped now after Hurricane Harvey, um, some of whom lost their jobs. There was one who lost her job because she used to work in Kingwood, and the place where she used to work got flooded. And, you know, she had to go through a FEMA denial, and she thought that she was 
that was it. And, you know, going through the whole appeals process and all of that stuff. And then just seeing that woman, you know, for the sake of her two sons just put in a good face after she had been, you know, crying or God knows what, um, trying to make ends meet and then just put on a good face just to be there for her kids and, you know, women of steel. Um, the uh, woman whose children I'm trying to help, one of them actually got the uh, special juvenile um, status. Um, and uh, the second one aged out before we were able to obtain the uh, S um, SJRA, and uh, we had to file um, for um, affirmative asylum for him, and he just got denied, which means we're going to have to go through the whole process before um, a judge, not just the... Um, the uh, administrative officer and it's just seeing that woman just you know churning in and, and coming up with whatever filing fees or whatever else even though I know that it is hard for her those are my sheroes I think the ones who are making things happen and who are uh, being um, having the, 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 the will of steel um, to continue being there for their kids and for that's true it's, um, it's admirable and sometimes we, we forget how, how much we can learn from um, pretty yeah. much from anybody else mm -hmm. who is doing um, uh, making a, a life of themselves. Yeah. And then the next one, I'm gonna make it a little bit easier for you. Oh, let's see. Other than your mom, <laughs> who was your hero when you were growing up? See, well, other than my mom, because my mom actually was um, a very big inspiration. One of the things that mom, my mom always taught me was that what's just is not necessarily all the time what's fair and he was trying to understand uh, you know that justice and fairness are not necessarily synonyms all the time and trying to come to terms uh, with that that also um, interested me so much in the law uh, to me you know the law is a lot different from politics However, it gets to be so politicized, uh, but I do believe, I'm a firm believer in the rule of law, and it is in part because of what I learned through my mom. But in any event, yes, other than my mom, I know, I know. So here, are you ready for this one? Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. I like that one. Yes. Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. I was 15 when I was exposed to um, this woman, and... Um, Having been raised in the 1600s, I cannot imagine, you know, anyone like swimming against the current more than this woman. And, you know, just just trying. I do I do remember reading about her, reading her biography, and then being exposed to uh, hombres necios que acusáis. Uh, what is it in English? Now? Foolish men, is what uh, what I saw it translated at. Um, and she was just one year older than I was when I met her, uh, when I knew of her. Um, she was 16 when she decided that she was going to join a convent because her passion for reading, her passion for, for learning and for books was so big. Um, and how much she believed, how firmly she believed that women um, would be better off if they were educated and I mean it, even though she went against the church and it, even though she was attacked by the very same priests 
that she was supposed to be um, to be obedient to um, that did not stop her and you know what a firm believer in uh, in uh, the women's rights to education and uh, what a uh, public outcrier of misogyny and of the hypocrisy of men and I I thought you know when I was introduced to her I said I mean, all I could say was how could a woman like that have you know lived in the 1600s and almost 500 years ago yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's the, that's yeah. one of the most impressive things about Sor Juana yeah um, yeah and for those listening Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz was a Mexican writer poet and philosopher in the 1600s that became the first published feminist of the new world some people also consider her as one of the most outstanding writers of the Spanish-American colonial period, but nevertheless, I think now most people know her, not because of her writings, but pretty much because she's the picture of the 200 pesos bill. <laughs> so now our final question, Lorena. As a Shiro, what advice would you give to other female lawyers? Hmm. And thank you for calling me Shiro, because I do not consider myself one, but um, I'll take the compliment. Why not? Um, dream, and dream big. Persevere, and always have a plan B, just in case. Um, one of the things that my mom taught me, my mom um, got married while she was still in law school, so she put law school on hold and she went on to teach. She was teaching um, um, Spanish literature, and uh, while well, well, she was raising us almost on her own, and that's why she always shipped us to you know her parents' house whenever we were on vacation. It'd be like you know uh, to the countryside, so that she could um, also study. And she was studying um, part time, and she graduated when I was ten years old. But that's what she wanted to do. Uh, and she did, she, her father told her that he wanted her to become a doctor, but that's not what she wanted. And she did what she wanted to do, even though her father said that he would not pay for her, if, you know, for her education if she did not become a doctor. She said, it's fine, I will pay for it my, you know, on my own. Um, it's that, it's just dreaming and then just following your dream and persevering. Because the fact that she got married, that she had two kids, that, um, you know, she, that so many years passed did not deter her from her dream of becoming a lawyer. And she did when I was 10. She started working um, at a firm when I was like a few months later. And then it was when she was, when I was 12 that she was appointed to the, um, to the judiciary. Um, and it's that, you know, you always have to have your plan B just in case, you know, there are little deterrents here and there. But dream, dream big, persevere. That is a great piece of advice. <laughs> um, so, Lorena, thank you very much for being with, thank you, with you. us. Thank um, you. Thank you all for listening to the uh, Shiro podcast of the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Um, don't forget to check out other episodes available on our website, tyla.org, and wherever you get your other podcasts. If you have a topic you want to hear about, email us at tyla at texasbar.com or send us a tweet at Texas Young Lawyers. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope to see you back here for another episode. And remember, not all shiros wear capes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Please support the work we're doing by liking the Texas Young Lawyers Association's Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at Tex Young Lawyers. And tune in for our next episode on Wonder Women Wednesday.